Today on Workforce Health Engagement, we're discussing redefining chronic disease care, featuring Scott Wallace from Dartmouth. Welcome to Workforce Health Engagement, a show exploring strategies to improve your employees' health and productivity and to protect your bottom line. Join us as industry experts discuss how to engage employees in population health management, wellness, and healthcare consumerism. This is a special series by the producers of the top-rated podcast, Engaging Leader. And now, with 20 years of experience as a communication consultant to Fortune 500 companies, helping engage hundreds of thousands of employees, here's your host, Jesse Leahy. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Chronic medical conditions drive more than 75% of healthcare spending. However, people with chronic conditions typically get care through a health system that's designed for acute care, fragmented episodic care triggered by an adverse health event. This episode discusses how employers can better engage the sicker portion of their employees and family members to improve health and reduce costs. Joining us again for a second visit with the Workforce Health Engagement Podcast is Scott Wallace. He's a visiting professor at Dartmouth and a leading expert in employee health strategy and chronic disease care design. Scott Wallace, welcome back to Workforce Health Engagement. Thank you. It's good to be here. Scott, what is the state of the union, if you will, when it comes to chronic care? It's a big problem. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, the state of our union is grim, um, I think would be how the president would, would candidly have to begin <laughs> that one. Um, you know, over half of all adult Americans have a chronic condition. Um, more than a fifth of them have two or more. Um, but even more pro- problematic than just the, the scale of the problem is the reality that most people with chronic conditions get worse. Mm. And um, among many medical providers, it's seen as almost inevitable. Um, there's a, a, a sense of medical nihilism that if someone has a chronic condition, they will just persist in getting worse. And it doesn't have to be. We can change the health outcomes of people with chronic conditions if we change our approach to care. Why is the, the state of affairs so dismal in this area? Well, I think by and large, it, it has to do with the reality that care delivery was structured around acute conditions. So somebody needed something right away that was desperately wrong, you know, an infectious disease or a heart attack. or um, and, and so all of the care was really designed in this episodic way to deal with what was right there. And chronic conditions are really different. They are primarily lifestyle driven, not, not all. Um, there are lots and lots and lots of chronic conditions that have nothing to do with somebody's lifestyle. But most chronic conditions are made better or made worse by somebody's lifestyle. Um, Chronic conditions are persistent. They go forever, um, or at least for very long points of time. And our care system isn't really very good at long term. Our care system does a better job with things that are episodic. And then the, the third piece of it is that chronic diseases really need a shared approach. Um, Health is a co-created good, co-created between a caregiver and a team. Um, And the care system right now is set up to be sort of unidirectional. You know, if if somebody shows up in the hospital, um, we take away their clothes, strap them to a table, and do something to them. 
And that doesn't work in the context of chronic disease. In chronic disease, we have to figure out ways that we work with patients um, and, and together achieve a better health outcome. So how does a typical employer start to make progress in this area? Well, um, I think employers ought to be looking for care delivery that is tightly integrated. Um, you know, the, the move lately in healthcare has been to coordinate care. And coordination is good. Coordination helps. It makes things easier for patients. But what we're really looking for in chronic disease is fully integrated. Um, it isn't just that I can make appointments for you at nine different providers at nine different places around the city. Um, <laughs> that's, that's coordinated. I, I can do that, and it's coordinated, and it's better than making you make those nine appointments and, and go do it. Um, but integrated care means that those nine kinds of care that you need are all available in one place in one visit because we know that people with type 2 diabetes are going to need these specific kinds of care. So the first is look for care that's tightly integrated. The second is look for care that's lifestyle focused. Um, if these conditions are lifestyle affected, and almost all of them are, um, then Figuring out the lifestyle transformations that have to be made and, and fully supporting those transformations is, is really critically important. Um, and I think this is a place where employers get this wrong. Employers speak about these issues as behaviors, and they're not. The, the difference between a behavior and a lifestyle is that a behavior is a volitional activity by an individual, and a lifestyle encompasses all of the social dynamics of what, why people do what they do. So we can talk about smoking as a behavior, but the reality is people don't light up dried out leaves and suck smoke into their lungs because they <laughs> want to behave that way. They do it because it's a social behavior. They do it with their friends. They do it at the bowling league. They do it after dinner. You know, where, wherever it is that they smoke, it generally involves other people. Same thing with food, same thing with exercise. So if we think about these more as lifestyles and get away from this behavior nonsense, I think that'll really help us. And then I think the third piece of it that's really important is that the care has to be continuous. People have a chronic condition all the time. They don't just have it when they show up in their doctor's office. And I think for all those reasons, I think that, that the employers, particularly those who have on-site care, um, can really start to make a dramatic impact in chronic disease because they can provide that kind of continuous care. They can integrate that care in a, in a really effective way. Um, and they can be very lifestyle-focused because people's work is a big part of their lifestyle. So many employers, their approach to healthcare benefits is that they are primarily a payer. Yeah. And they hire the insurance companies or the TPAs to manage this. And so the, it's almost like the best thing that can happen is the, the insurance company has outbound phone calls that try to engage the patient and get them to make some of these changes. That hasn't worked very well historically, has it? <laughs> Well, uh, that was you. You kind of jumped my question there because my my question to employers is so how's that going for you? You know because it it really isn't working. And you know if if insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, then I think we've got a pretty vivid example of of institutional insanity. Um, I think that that employers have a real role in the health of their employees for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, simple and easy to see things like productivity and disability. But also, you know, you make a big investment in employees. You don't want them to be sick. Um, 
you, if, if, if you are like most people, you care about the people that you work with. You don't want them to be sick. Um, and so I think that I think the time has come for employers to take a much more active role in what is it that they are buying. You know, I, I work with lots and lots of companies, and I always point out to them, you know, do you just buy steel and assume that the right thing is going to show up in your warehouse? They say, oh, no, we have this value chain and a supply chain, and we check and we do all. And I say, well, what do you do about healthcare? And they say, we just buy it. Mm-hmm. And they kind of miss that whole, you know, parallel that just buying it doesn't really make any sense. What we ought to be doing is thinking about what is it that we're getting for what we are paying for. And um, I, I think employers really have an opportunity to take a much more strategic approach to healthcare if they start to think about things like chronic conditions and how do they help their employees get better, not how do they stand by and watch paying a lot of money as their employees get worse. Well, you mentioned on-site clinics, and so there's been a trend for the last several years for employers to basically bring healthcare to the work site, make it a lot more convenient, have real person-to-person relationships, mm-hmm. consistent relationships between the the caregivers and the and the employees. What sorts of strategies are employers using to bring this uh, chronic condition? To, to bring some of those ideas to life to, better than what's been done traditionally? Well, most people have a community of, of colleagues at work. Um, and one of the interesting things about chronic diseases is that they're contagious. Um, not in the infectious disease sense, but they're contagious in the sense that um, if, if uh, your friends are obese, you are more likely to be obese. If your friends have type 2 diabetes, you are more likely to have type 2 diabetes. And, and they're also um, improvable with that same dynamic. You know, when, when groups of employees get together to exercise or they get together to lose weight, they're far more effective than when individuals try to do those things on their own. So one opportunity that employers have is to foster that kind of activity. Um, the Cleveland Clinic uh, years ago started pioneering the idea of having yoga at work. And, um, you know, they, you can get a yoga class started if you have three other colleagues who want to have a yoga class at whatever time of day. Um, those kinds of activities are things that employers realistically ought to be thinking about a lot more. Um, they're not expensive. You know, set aside a table at, in your cafeteria for the group of people who are concerned about type 2 diabetes or set aside a table or an area of the cafeteria you know every Tuesday for people who are in Weight Watchers who want to get together and and work with each other Um, set up after work runs, set up lunchtime activities there are a whole bunch of things that employers can do that don't really require a lot of money they require some thinking Hmm. and they, they require a much more strategic active approach and I think it's a much better approach then the sort of penalties driven, I'm going to tell you what your goals are. Why don't we instead change the context of it and say, look, let's make this enjoyable. Let's, let's do this together. Let's, let's succeed as a group. And I think employers can do more of that than they are. And to provide the whole integrated care that you talked about earlier and the long-term care, is it feasible for employers to expect that they'll be able to find the right providers to make that whole that whole deal happen, or does the does the employer kind of have to create their own uh, integrated care team, if you will? 
I, I think it happens both ways. Um, we have worked with large employers who have said, look, you know, we, we want to put a, a clinic in place, help us design uh, an integrated unit for type 2 diabetes. And every Tuesday, we're going to try to see our employees who have type 2 diabetes, and we're going to have a whole lot of resources here for them. So we'll have a cardiologist here on Tuesdays, and we'll have the nutritionist, and we'll have an exercise physiologist. And, you know, so, so we'll really focus on type 2 diabetes on Tuesdays, and we'll, we'll, we'll try to get employees in that way. Um, the other way to do it is, is go to local providers and say, this is what I want to buy. You know, it, it, it just it dumbfounds me because employers, when they buy anything else, they say very specifically, we want this. You know, look at the specs for buying steel or electronics or even, you know, office supplies. It's really clear that they know what it is that they're buying. And yet, Places that spend, you know, more on healthcare than they do on, on raw materials just say, well, you know, give me what you got. And I think as long as the attitude is give me what you got, you're going to get what they got. Um, and that's not necessarily what you need. And so I think the, the other piece of it is that employers need to get out of their office, go visit the hospitals, go visit the care providers and say, look, this is what we want. This is what we expect. We want to see measured results, and we'll work with you. You know, the best employers that we've worked with are people who take some of their logistics teams and help hospitals with them. Do process design, do, you know, real improvement. Think about how do you measure outcomes in ways that are relevant to employers and to employees. One of the problems I've seen many employers run into is difficulty engaging patients to participate in these types of models. Uh, for example, with an on-site health clinic, the, the type of employees, often those get very high participation. It's, it's seen as a great benefit. And, um, but the, the, so a large number of employees participate in those activities, including all the healthy ones, right. because they're thinking about health anyway. But uh, employees, and especially dependents who have chronic conditions, often seem less likely to engage in the types of uh, activities or even benefits that would help address their situation. They seem like they're, they're very locked into the way they've been treating it in the past. I go to Dr. So-and-so and I just do what he says and I may not be getting any better, but this is, this is my deal in right. life. Right, how, sort of nihilism. Yeah. So what, are, are, is there anything that's been working to truly engage those kinds of difficult patients? Well, First off, what I would tell every employer and what I tell every provider that I work with is you're not going to get everybody. So, you know, you, you can spend your time wringing your hands about the 7% or 8% who aren't going to be there. Um, or you can focus on how do you get the 30% who were wavering to, to be fully in. The, so the first point is, you know, recognize that you're not going to get everybody. You, you don't in anything. Why, why would healthcare be different? The second is how do you make health easy? You know, in, in every other dimension of American consumer life, ease and convenience are really key. And in healthcare, um, we, we basically have the employees parking in the drive-thru lane. You know, think about every hospital that you've ever seen. You drive around and around and around <laughs> in the parking garage because all of the close-in spots are reserved for doctors. Well, have you ever been to a McDonald's where all the employees park in the drive-thru lane? Because those are really <laughs> close to the back door. You can get in easy and, you know. So how do employers start to make health easy? 
Because if it's easier, a lot more people are going to do it. Um, and then the, the third is, how do you make it more fun? You know, all of this stuff about penalties and behaviors and wagging our fingers at people, it turns them off. No adult wants that. And, you know, what we hear from employees all the time when we, when we study them in this, this process we call experience groups is, how do, you, how do I do the things you're talking about in the life I'm living today? They can't figure it out because they're locked in. And if you start to understand the constraints that they're, they're facing and help them address some of those obstacles, then they can, in fact, make health easy. Um, they, they can achieve better health. And, you know, a good example of that is we were working with a very large employer who had a beautiful cafeteria that they served lunch from 11 until 2 every day. And they had a massive obesity problem. About 55% of their employees in, in some segments were clinically obese. And they couldn't figure out what to do about it. And so we started meeting with groups of these employees and you start figuring out what their lives are. Primarily a female workforce, a lot of single mothers in very, very sedentary jobs on the phone all day. And when we asked them, they said, well, you know, at night I, I drive past a Kentucky Fried Chicken and a, a KFC and it, it just, or, a, you know, the, the, a KFC and a McDonald's, I guess would mm -hmm. be the analogy. And, you know, fried chicken seems like a better option than a hamburger and french fries. So I stopped there to get food. And we said, well, you know, how about making food? And they said, well, I have four kids and I raise them on my own. And, you know, they got to get to basketball and soccer and ballet and whatever. So I just, I go to the KFC. And so what we did with that employer was we said, how about if you make nutritious meals in your cafeteria for people to take home in the evening. Charge them, because mm -hmm. they're paying money to KFC, they'll pay money to you. Huge shift <laughs> in the obesity problem, because people always had an option of better food. better. In, and so, this is one of those examples of how do you observe, how do you see the obstacles and start to pull those out of, out of people's way? How do you make health easy? And then I think the last thing I would tell people is, who succeeds in your, your company? Why? You know, every company has the marathoners and the, you know, the, the women who play volleyball every Tuesday and Thursday and the, the, the people who go for a walk every day at lunch. They, you know, eat a sandwich while they walk. How do we help those, those sorts of things become more culturally accepted? You know, most of the marathon runners would love to have a group of people who want to learn how to start running. Okay, let's, how do we start those groups? How do we foster the lunchtime walks? Um, how do we take advantage of, of the positive side of things rather than just focus on, you know, wagging our finger at the bad guys? Scott Wallace, thanks again for, for joining us on Workforce Health Engagement. Jesse, you're welcome. It's always fun. Talk to you again. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. We'll provide the information and links that Scott mentioned on our show notes for this episode. And while you're on the show notes page, you can engage with us by providing your thoughts or questions in the comments section or by clicking the red send voicemail button. You can also engage with us at facebook.com forward slash engaging leader or on Twitter where I am at Jesse Leahy. Workforce Health Engagement is a production of Aspendale Communications a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications, helping mid-size and large employers attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results in several areas, not only health engagement, but also talent management, 
benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. If you enjoy this series, be sure to check out the leadership podcast, Engaging Leader, where my guests and I share ways to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. You can find both Workforce Health Engagement and Engaging Leader podcasts in iTunes, Stitcher, and on our website at engagingleader.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, over the long term, a program of the day won't help you boost employee health, productivity, and your bottom line. For sustainable success, you need an integrated approach to workforce health engagement.